All right, praises be to our loving Father that we are able to gather once again to study his words. It is always our pleasure to share with you as we study together the book of Revelation insights and things that we discover when it comes to the plan of Yahuwah for our salvation. So when we go through the book of Revelation, we're going through many controversial topics. However, we do our best with the, uh, the help of the Holy Spirit and with much prayer that we will come across and understand the truth of Yahuwah's teaching. So today we're going to talk about Revelation chapter 12. So we are more than halfway through the book of Revelation. Revelation 12, we will be introduced to the woman, the child, and the dragon. Before we open Revelation 12, let us first do a quick recap of what we learned from Revelation chapter 11, when the seventh trumpet uh, was sounded. If you still remember, when the seventh trumpet was sounded, there was an announcement, an official announcement of the kingdom of Yahuwah comes and the kingdom of his Christ comes. That kingdom is going to be installed on earth. However, there, are, there was preparatory work that needed to be done, the removal of the existing kingdoms and the preparation of the officers of the kingdom. We can say it's like the cabinet members of our King Yahushua who will co-rule with him. So before all of this happens, there has to be a removal of the existing kingdoms. And this is done through the seven bowls of wrath. We're gonna talk about the seven bowls because as we have studied, we have seven seals and seven trumpets, and we have seven bowls of the wrath of Yehovah Abba. Now, of course, none of us want to experience the seven bowls of wrath. And so it's good that when the seventh trumpet is blown, there are significant events that will take place at point to what we call the harpazo or the rapture. There's evidence that the harpazo will take place on the seventh trumpet. And we listed it to you here. The harpazo is the mystery that will be fulfilled at the seventh trumpet. The harpazo will take place at the last trumpet. Uh, and there is rewarding of the servants of Yahusha on the seventh trumpet. The temple of Elohim was opened in heaven on the seventh trumpet. And so we studied this in great detail in our previous episode. We do hope for those who have not yet um, watched uh, the uh, BHP concerning the seventh trumpet, we do hope that you will take some time to kind of look through it. And so basically the seventh trumpet marks the end of an age and the beginning of a new one. So we're going to enter a new age when the seventh trumpet is sounded. It is but fitting that the seventh and last trumpet will usher in a new age. And in this new age, many things will be affected. Earth will be affected. Heaven will be affected as well. And this is what we will find in the book of Revelation chapter 12. And so before this new age commences, the apostle John in Revelation chapter 12 reintroduces us to the main characters, not only of the book of Revelation, but the whole Bible. He reintroduces us to the main characters of redemptive history. Who are these main characters? In Revelation 12 and the verses 1, now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. So the Apostle John introduces to us at the very outset of Revelation chapter 12, the woman. Okay, so that's the first main character. Next in Revelation 12 verse 2, that then being with child, 
she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So that's character number two. We have the child. So we have the woman, we have the woman and the child. However, in verse three, we also have another character that's introduced and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. And so this, of course, is we know what the dragon represents. But what we have here are three main characters that open up Revelation 12. And the reason for this is because Apostle John wants us to see how the change that will take place at the, the blowing of the seventh trumpet will affect the woman, the child, and the dragon. There's going to be major shifts. There's going to be major happenings because the seventh trumpet has finally been blown. That will affect the woman, the child, and the dragon. Now, we all know that the woman, the child, and the dragon represent something else, right? The woman represents Yisharal. The child represents our King Yahusha. And the dragon, who do you think that represents? That represents the adversary or the devil. So the three main characters in the book of Revelation, in the whole Bible, and in fact, in redemptive history, is Yisharal, Yahusha, and the devil. When you look and study the, the Holy Bible, it's all about Yisharal and how Yisharal will beget, in the physical sense, our king Yahusha, who will destroy the devil, because the devil, ever since the very beginning, has been planting ways and doing things that will disrupt Yisharal because Yisharal is the people of Allahim. Remember, in Yahuwah's plan for salvation, it is focused upon Yahushua, those who belong to Yahushua, become parts of Yisharal. And so it is all about the work of Yahushua. And we will see in the unfolding of the biblical narrative that there's always these three main characters at play. Israel, Yisharal, Yahusha, and the devil. So let's begin with the woman. How do we know it does, in fact, represent Yisharal? Let's go back to Revelation 12 and the verses 1. The Bible says this woman, right, is clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet, and she has a garland of 12 stars. So we know, in fact, this is symbolic because the woman... Well, how can you be clothed with the sun? How can a literal woman have the moon under her feet? And how can a literal woman wear a garland of 12 stars? And so we know this cannot be a literal woman in Revelation chapter 12. So we know in the Holy Bible, symbols are often used. And oftentimes, oftentimes religious systems are being symbolized as women. For example, when, we, when women are used... In Revelation, Revelation 2.20, we have the woman Jezebel. It's not speaking about the literal Jezebel here. Let's read the passage in Revelation 2.20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you've allowed that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So here, our King Yahushua has a message to the seven assemblies, and he warns the seven assemblies about this woman, Jezebel. We know this is not the literal Jezebel, because Jezebel's been long dead, right? And so this Jezebel represents a religious system. It's not a physical literal Jezebel. 
a religious system that's based on seduction and idolatry. Uh, we know power and material things seduces. There are many religions that's based on the seduction of prosperity. And so this is one of the religi religious systems that were present during the days of the early followers of our king, Yahushua. There's also idolatry involved, the worship of people. Uh, this, what is closely associated with that, if we keep reading the passage, is Nicolaitism, right? And so we talked about that before. So that's an instance of a woman being depicted in the book of Revelation. Revelation 17, 1, 2. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine for fornication. So here we have another uh, symbol, the great harlot. And so it's an example of women being depicted you being used as a symbol of a religious system. The great harlot represents the great Babylon, and this religious system is going to deceive uh, the whole world. And of course, we have in Revelation 19, 7 to 8, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife, his bride, has made herself ready and to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So we have clear examples of religious systems, the true church being represented by a woman. We have in one instance, Jezebel. We have also the great harlot. And of course, we have the bride of Yahushua. Out of all the women mentioned in symbol in the book of Revelation, which one do you want to be identified with? Why, of course, the bride, the wife of the lamb, the wife or bride of our king, Yahushua. So what does the woman then in Revelation 12 represent? Well, we get a clue when we go back to Revelation 12, 1. The Bible says that this woman is clothed with the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so these are symbols. When we are introduced to symbols, we need to go to the Bible to understand what it represents. When was the first instance sun, moon, and stars was introduced? Well, let's read the book of Genesis 37, 5 and 9. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they ate him, and they hated him even more. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And so here we have a dream that Joseph had. And we know about this dream, right? Joseph would be, and he will play out the role of Yahushua. He'll be the type of Yahushua, right? Because he would basically represent Israel. And so because of him, Israel would be saved. And Israel is represented by the 12 tribes. And we have here the 12 tribes represented as 11 stars. We know Joseph, of course, will be one of those stars. But also in this dream, it mentions the sun, the moon, and the stars. So when we use the symbols introduced to us in Genesis, by the way, when we study the Holy Bible in our discipleship training program, we're going to be looking at the symbols because Genesis 
is the main source of the biblical symbols that we need to understand to grasp the book of Revelation. So we're going to see all these symbols introduced, and these symbols are patterns that will be repeated again and again and again. For example, in, in the book of Genesis, there's a symbol of the serpent, right? And that symbol of the serpent, you will find repeated again and again throughout the Holy Scripture. So having said all that, we know, and we can be confident, that the woman represented in Revelation 12, 1, identified with the symbolism of the sun, the moon, and the stars, represents Yeshara. It represents Israel. Well, is there biblical precedence for this? Is there biblical evidence in the Old Testament that Israel, Yeshara, is likened to a woman? Absolutely. In the book of Jeremiah, 3 in the verses 20, surely as a wife treacher treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Yisrael, says Yahuwah. And so we know that Yahusha, Yahuwah considers Yisrael in symbolism, right, as his wife. This is symbolism, brethren. They're not literally husband and wife, okay? This is symbolism to show the covenant relationship. This is why the symbolism of wife and husband and a spouse is, is very important because it represents the covenant relationship. So Yahuwah had a covenant relationship with Yisrael. So it's represented as a spouse or as a wife. In this case, well, Yisrael apostatized, committed idolatry. And so Yahuwah divorced Yisrael. And, but he also has a promise concerning the house of Yisrael, Hosea 2, 19 and 20. And it shall be in that day, says Yahuwah, that he will, he will call me my husband, and no longer call me my master. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know Yahuwah. And so despite the fact the people of Yisrael has turned away from Yahuwah, Yahuwah, because of his unfailing love, his loving kindness and mercy, he does not give up on Yisrael. And so this theme of Yahuwah re, uh, not giving up on his wife, which is Yisrael, it's a theme we find throughout the Bible, and we see it being played out in the book of Revelation chapter 12 all the way to its conclusion. This is why we are introduced again before the new age comes at the blowing of the seventh trumpet, we're introduced again to the characters, right? Yahusha, Yisrael, and the dragon, because we know behind the apostasy of Yisrael is the dragon. So the dragon's always been present. Yisrael's been affected by the dragon. Now, what will happen when the seventh trumpet is blown? So that's what we are being introduced to in Revelation chapter 12. So we know Yisrael has been represented as a spouse, as a wife, or as a woman. And so now what happens to the woman? Let's read the book of Revelation 12, 1 to 2. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So the Bible says that Yisrael gives birth to a child. We know the child that is mentioned there. It is our king, Yahusha. So Yahusha or Israel is going to give birth to Yahusha, and they will cry out in labor and in pain to give birth to 
Yehusha. We know when Yehusha was born, what the conditions were for the people of Yisharah. They were under the oppression, they were under the persecution of the Roman Empire. And so in a way that represents the travails of Yisharah, which is akin to labor pains. And so when Yehusha was born, there was great pain among the people of Yisharah. This is why what they were expecting from the Messiah was one who would liberate them from the oppression and tyranny of the Roman Empire. And so we believe the child is represented by Yahusha. The child in Revelation 12 is our king, our master, Yahusha HaMashiach. Well, if that's the case, well, is it true that Yahusha is a child of Yishara? Remember, this is all symbolical. In what sense is Yahusha the child of Yishara? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Yisharal, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So according to the prophecy in the book of Micah, Yahushua is going to come from Yisharal. He's going to come from one of the tribes, Judah, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. He will be the one to rule in Yisharah. Now, when we think of the birthing process, I mean, what does that mean? It means uh, a part of you, right, is has given Genesis. It has resulted in another being, but that being is connected to you because you were a part of that. The one who gave birth to you is in you. That's what the birthing process is. A separation, yet that separation came from a connection. And so a transfer of part of oneself to another. And so Yahusha comes from, the, from Yeshara. And what does that mean? That Yahusha will come from Yeshara. In Romans 9, 3 to 5, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen by race. They are Israelites. And to them belong the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law the worship and the promises to them belong the patriarchs and of the race according to the flesh is the Christ God who is over all be blessed forever amen so here apostle Paul is speaking about Yisrael Yisrael has always been the people of Elohim from the very beginning up until the end so it's going to be focus on what happens to Yisrael because of the promise Yahuwah made to Abraham the everlasting covenant and so apostle Paul says Yisrael because of that covenant that was made, is always going to be given. They were given the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. And so they are privileged and blessed. They are the apple of the eye of our father, Yahuwah. Yeshurah is special to uh, Yahuwah, our Abba. And so how special is Yeshurah? Well, the Bible says, out of Yeshurah will come forth who? The Messiah. And so, in a way, because when Yahushua was born, of course, his race, his ethnicity, he was Hebrew. He was Israelite. Yahushua was Israelite. And so, uh, in that sense, Yisharal gives birth to the child who would be our king, Yahushua. Now, what's the relationship in between Israel, Yisharal, and our, the birth of our king, Yahushua, that was depicted in Revelation 12, 1 to 2. What is interesting 
is in Revelation 12, 1 to 2, it mentions a great star or a great sign that appeared in heaven, right? The sun, the woman clothed with the sun, with the woman under her feet and on her, her, her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. So in Revelation 12, it mentions there's a sign that we need to decipher. This sign is in heaven. And so what Apostle John wants us to do is to read the sign in heaven because it tells us a lot about the birth of the child. Now, we studied this before. When, it, when we think of signs appearing in heaven, the sign will be composed of the sun, the head, I mean, the, uh, the, the stars and the moon, arranged in such a way so that it looks and appears to be under the feet of a woman and it seems to, and these 12 stars are arranged in such a way so it represents like a garland or a crown of 12 stars. And so when we think of stars in the heaven, what comes to mind? Of course, the constellation. Now, are we proponents of astrology? Of course not. But we do know from the biblical record that the heavens were used by Yahuwah to write his, his message and the gospel message as well. That's how powerful Yahuwah is. This is why in Job 38, 31 to 33, this is what the Bible says. Can you bind a cluster of the plagues or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? So Yahuwah is speaking and he's letting us know that he has omnipotent power. Why? Because he can use the stars to, to give a message. I mean, we can't do that. I mean, we can arrange letters and come up with a message with sentences. But Yahuwah can use the whole cosmos as his paper, right? And he uses the stars as his ink. That's how powerful Yahuwah is. And so he's the one who arranged the stars. And he arranged them, not haphazardly, but with a purpose. This is why we have what is called the Maseroth. What is the Maseroth in the, the Hebrew word is Masara, which are the 12 signs of the Zodiac and their 36 associated constellations. And so during the biblical times, we don't have light pollution as we have today. This is why during the days of Yisrael, during the biblical times, when you look up, oh my goodness, the stars, because there's no light pollution, is going to be as visible and as vivid as though you had like the Hubble telescope in front of you. That's how it was back then because there was no light pollution. And so they saw the stars clearly and they saw how it was structured and how it formed different symbols. However, we need to caution everyone. We, like what we said, we are not endorsing astrology. Well, what is astrology? Well, this is what the warning of the Bible tells us. You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. And so we are not proponents of astrology. We don't go to the stars and find our future there. No, we go to the scriptures. Sometimes the scriptures reveal something that Yahuwah wrote in the cosmos long ago. And that's what we have in Revelation 12, 1 to 2. In Genesis 1:14. The Bible says that God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days 
and years. And so signs oftentimes can be depicted by the arrangement of the constellation, the sun, and the moon. And in Revelation 12, 1, that is exactly what we have. So Yahuwah is telling us uh, through the writings of the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that there's something about the arrangement of the constellation that will inform us about the birth of our King Yahusha. And this was done. There was a great comprehensive study on this written by Joseph Leonard. If you have time, you can go look at the book, Mysteries of Yahusha's Life Revealed. And so according to his book, the, the sign given in verse 1 is that of a woman. The only sign of the Maseroth, uh, which depicts a woman, is the constellation of Virgo. The birth of the Messiah is associated with this heavenly spectacle, Revelation 12.2. The vision given to John associates the specific positions of the sun and the moon in relation to Virgo, located with the normal paths of the sun and moon across the heavens. The specific locations of the sun and moon in relation to the woman gives us clues to the specific day and time for the birth of the Messiah. And so, in a beautiful way, right, uh, underneath the plain sense of Scripture, we have a structure. We have a pattern that tells us about when Yahushua is going to be born. And you can find this pattern when you consider the Maserat, because the woman is represented by Virgo, constellation of stars. And there's going to be a unique arrangement of everything the sun, the moon, and the stars that will suggest the birth of the Messiah. And so back then, when you looked at the stars, it was very clear. You could easily identify, you know, which stars belong to what constellation, so on and so forth. And according to this book, the sign of the sun clothing the woman, Virgo defines a period of 20 days, August 27 to September 15 of the year 3 BC. It is the additional sign of the moon being under her feet with actually pinpoints the nativity to within a day, to within 90 minutes on that day in the year 3 BC. These two relationships of the sun, the moon, and the woman came into alignment for only an 81-minute period, as observed from Palestine in the twilight period of September 11. This relationship began at 6.18 p.m. sunset and lasted until 7.39 p.m. moonset. So it's very precise. And... The, the arrangement of the stars, the moon, and the sun was in such a way, so it fits the description of Revelation 12, and that gives us a span of 81 minutes, an 81-minute period, September 11, the BC, which we believe was the birth of our King Yahushua. So the child was born, the child is Yahushua. Israel is the one who begets this child because Yeshua. Yisrael is the one from whom Yahusha will come from. And after the child is born, what will happen next? Revelation 12.4, his tail uh, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it is possible. And so we know the dragon... When the child is to be born, it's going to devour the child. This dragon does not want Yahushua to be born. Why? Because he does not want people to be saved. He wants to ruin the plan of Yahuwah for salvation. And so he's always watching Yisharal. This is why, haven't you noticed, when it comes to Yisharal, we're always falling into apostasy. 
because Yahu, uh, because the devil wants to make sure that Israel, Yisrael, would not be able to produce the Messiah. And so the devil, the, the dragon, does not want this child to be born. And this dragon, who is he? Well, he was introduced to us in 12.9. So the great dragon was cast out, a serpent of old called the devil. And Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. So there's no doubt that the dragon is not a physical dragon, right? It represents who? The devil. Uh, Satan, that serpent of old, the one who deceived Eve. And so he's still around ever since the time of Adam and Eve. He's been all he's been working against the, the plan of Yahuwah for the salvation and redemption of mankind. And so the Bible says that this dragon stood before the woman, he's persecuting Yisharah, and he will do something to devour the child. He does not want the child to be born. This is why. Haven't you noticed ever since the very beginning, Satan tried to prevent the birth of Mashiach because he knows is in, in, in the promise and prophecy of Yahuwah in Genesis 3.15, the son or the seed of the woman will crush the seed, the, the seed of the serpent. This is being played out. This is why he wanted to kill Abel. This is why the world was corrupted because he was hoping that all of the world will be, will be destroyed by the flood, right? But Yahuwah always leaves a remnant. And then Israel would be corrupted. This is why all the kings are so bad. Despite the fact that they saw with their eyes the power of Yahuwah, they would always backslide and apostatize. And behind this is, of course, the influence of the dragon. So Abel was killed. The world was corrupted. Israel was corrupted. And so the devil wants to prevent the birth of the Messiah. And even after the birth of the Messiah, the devil did not give up, right? This is why even after the birth, what did he do? Well, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from uh, two years old and under, according to the time which, had, which he had determined from the wise men. And so even after the birth of our King Yahushua, what did, the, what did the devil do? He tried to find a way to kill the child, right? Using instruments like Herod. So we know that the male child is central. He's the main enemy of the devil. He doesn't want the child to be born. He wants to destroy the child because the child holds the key for redemption and salvation. And we know that is our king, Yahushua. Now, why are we absolutely sure that the child referred to in Revelation, I mean, I'm sure by now there's no doubt that the child is Jehusha, right? Why are we absolutely sure? Let's keep reading Revelation 12, 5. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. And so when we look at this passage, it tells us about Jehusha. He is the one to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who is this about? Revelation chapter 2. This is no other than our king. Yahushua, who was the one who was caught up to God, the ascension. This is no other than our king, Yahushua, who sits in the throne of the right of God now, who sits at the right hand of Yahuwah's throne, who has his own throne and be given his own throne. That will be our king, Yahushua. And so because of the evidence that we find here, we know the child is, is symbolizing Yahushua. Yahushua is the child. Yahushua is the one that wants to be destroyed by 
the devil. And there's something interesting in this passage. I want you to focus on this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. We're going to look at the same passage. And you notice I highlighted the word child because it's mentioned twice. Remember, Yahushua is the male child. When we look at these two words, child, child one, child two, right? You see the male child and her child. When we look at that word child, in English, it's just child. However, it turns out in Greek, it's interesting that two different Greek words are used. In the first instance, the male child is yihos. And in the second instance, the child is technon. And so there's something that Apostle John wants us to look into. This is why, you know, reading the Bible involves careful study and looking into sometimes um, the Greek words behind it or the ancient languages. And so what's the difference between yihos and technon? Well, yihos, when you look at the scope, what we call the, how it's used throughout the Holy Bible, right? It's used as a son, specifically a son, not a daughter, but a son, a son of man and a son of God, right? And so oftentimes when you come across Yehos, well, it kind of refers to, we know who he is, our king, Yahusha. Not all the time, he has many other uses, but for the most part, when you look at how the pattern of how it's used, it points to a son. In this case, the son, the son of God. So that's Yehos. But when you go to the next one, and her child, Technon, what does that mean? It refers to offspring or children, children of God. And so what we have here in a subtle way, the Bible is communicating to us the relationship between the child, Yehos, and the child, Technon, suggesting to us that the son in himself, in his body, will bear forth children of Allahim, right? Do you get it? Because uh, children is plural, but child is singular. And so there's a plurality in singularity. And that child is Yahusha. And so what this is telling us is Yahusha is a person. He's a person. He is the Messiah. But eventually there will be people identified with him, parts of his body. That's amazing. I did not see that before, but it's plain. It's right there. So the son also appears as a son who... In him represent the children of Allahim. So the son is like the head, and we have children who are parts of his body, right? This is why the two Greek words were presented. And what is even more amazing, when it says, and her child, Yahushua was caught up to heaven, right? In the same way, the, the children who belong to, to Yahushua, those who are baptized into his body, will be caught up to God in his throne. What does that mean? Harpatsa. Did you know in the whole book of Revelation, it's only in Revelation 12, 5 that you find the word harpazo? This is why here, this is where the harpazo is going to take place. After the blowing or during the blowing of the seventh trumpet. And so when the seventh trumpet blows, those who are in Yahushua, the, the male child, they're going to be harpazo so that they can be caught up to God, to be where Yahushua's at, and to his throne. This is why those who are going to be harpazod are going to have their thrones too. Remember what Yahushua said, those who overcome, they're going to sit with me on my throne. We're going to be co-ruling with our king, Yahushua. So we believe in Revelation 12, 5, this event, in a subtle way, 
communicates to us our relationship with Yahusha. We are parts of his body. Our relationship with Yahuwah, we have become the children of God. And also, what's going to happen to us when the seventh trumpet is blown? In the study we had last week, we already talked about the signs, the evidence, the harpazo takes place when the seventh trumpet is blown. Here's additional evidence, right? And so we're going to be harpazo. And so, well, what further proof do we have? That this, in fact, is referring to the harpazo or the rapture. Well, let's read 10 down to 12 in Revelation 12. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. So there's a loud voice in heaven. Not on earth, but in heaven. Take note. Now, salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death therefore rejoice O heavens and you who uh, dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time what's the proof that revelation 12 5 is the harpazo of those who belong to yahusha and are considered children of elohim well here we hear, we hear a voice saying in heaven. And so this is like a maybe a hymn, a song. You notice what is being sung, what is being, what is mentioned by those who are in heaven. He says, accuser of our brethren. And so these are people who are brethren. What does that mean? These are human beings. So there are human beings in heaven. How did they get there? They were harpazo, the seventh trumpet. The heavens were open to reveal uh, the temple, remember? And so they're in heaven now. Well, how did they get in heaven? They were harpazo. They were raptured. I mean, how else can we make sense of this song, or whatever you want to call it, this declaration, this voice from heaven, and it mentions the accuser of our brethren, right? And they overcame, past tense, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb. What, who was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Not angels. Who was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Human beings. And so these human beings who gave a testimony about Yahushua, these human beings are in heaven. How did they get there? They were harpazo. And so there must have been a harpazo that took place before Revelation 12, 10 down to 12. And this took place in the blowing of the seven uh, trumpet. And so because they're in heaven, they rejoice, and at the same time, when they look at the earth, there are still inhabitants there, those who are left behind. Right? There's going to be people who are left behind. And then he says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why do they say woe to the inhabitants of the earth and rejoice, O heavens? Well, that's because the devil has been cast down. You notice that? The devil has come down to you. What does that mean? The devil has come down to you. Well, let's read the book of Revelation 12, 7 to 9. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was the place found for them in heaven any longer. Any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, a serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out 
with him. And so the Bible reveals to us about a cosmic war, about war in heaven. I believe this will take place at the sound of the seventh trumpet. After the seventh trumpet sounds, the devil sees people being harpazoed, the devil and his minions who still, who still have access to some parts of heaven, not the highest of heavens where Yahuwah dwells, but he has some parts of heaven. Um, well, he's go there's going to be a war. And this war is going to break out. And of course, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and his angels. And guess who wins the war? It's Michael and his angels. So what happens to the dragon and his angels? Now they can no longer access any part of heaven, any level of heaven they have no more access to. They're only limited to do, to, to do their mayhem on earth. This is why when he's cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him, he's going to deceive the world. He's going to destroy the world because he's likened to a serpent and a dragon. A serpent deceives. A dragon destroys. And so he's going to be a deceiver and a destroyer. This is why woe to the earth, right? And so what we have when we study the Bible and look at the dragon, we can see a pattern of the devil's fall. In fact, I believe there's like a fractal pattern of the devil's fall. What is that pattern that we can find? You know, there are several falls that the, the devil suffered. It keeps getting progressively worse, like a, uh, a spiral. You know how things spiral down? You know, spiral is like a fractal. And in Ezekiel 28, 14, 16, what was the first fall of the devil? You were anointed, and you were the anointed sheriff who covers. Uh, I establish you, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. So you, uh, the devil used to be the cherub. Not just any cherub, but he was like with Yahuwah in his throne room, in the mountain of God. He's there. He had access to the best parts of heaven where Yahuwah dwells, okay? Because he was a short, the cherub. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. So he was a glorious being. Till iniquity was found in you by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stone. So we have here the devil, who used to be a cherub, right? He had access to the mountain of God. He was with God. He had glory. He had the glory of being able to have access to a part of heaven that not everyone has access to. Him being a cherub, he had access to that. And so he fell from, gl from glory. You see that? That's his first fall. Now, even though he fell from glory, Shatan, even though he fell from having access to the throne room of Yahuwah, he still has access to certain parts of heaven. In Job 1, 6-7, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahuwah, and Satan also came among them. And Yahuwah said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered Yahuwah and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And so this tells us two things. Satan, after the first fall, he still has access to heaven because from time to time he would report to Yahuwah, just like the other sons of God, the other angels, right? And so he still has access to heaven, but he's also roaming around where? The earth. What is he doing? He's looking for someone to accuse. That's why he's called the accuser of our 
brethren. So ever since the beginning, he's walking the earth, going to and fro, and he's looking for people to accuse. In this one, he was trying to accuse Job, right? And so Satan still has access to heaven, but not the highest parts of heaven, okay? Not Yahuwah's throne room. And not only that, in Zechariah 3, 1 and 2, and he showed me Yahusha, the high priest. This is Joshua, the high priest, standing for the angel of Yahuwah and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And Yahuwah said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Yahuwah, who, was uh, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And so again, we have evidence that even though Satan was has fallen from grace, fallen from the highest parts of heaven. He still has access to heaven. And he is also wreaking havoc upon the inhabitants of the earth. And so he's, this, he's looking for victims on earth. He's accusing brethren in heaven. He's the accuser in the council room of, God, of Yahuwah in heaven. So he's the accuser of our brethren, even during the Christian era, right? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so after the fall from grace, Satan still has access to heaven and is doing his dirty work and his destructive and deceptive work on earth. And so what we can see here when it comes to the, the fall, he fell from glory in heaven, but he still has access to parts of heaven, right? However, in Revelation 12, 7 to 9, there's a war that breaks out. The great dragon was cast out. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And look at verse 8. But they did not prevail. Nor, what does it say? Was the place found for them in heaven any longer. Now, the devil and his angels, his other angels, they no longer have any parts of heaven. No more. Not the high parts, not the low parts. No more access to Heaven. Isn't that interesting? So they're now cast to the earth. And now he's going to be really pissed off. <laughs> he's going to be angry. And he's going to be angry. And he's going to set up, you know, he's going to empower the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophets. He's going to be destroying. Um, he's going to have power over those who are left behind for three and a half years. And so there's going to be a lot of uh, destruction and deception taking place. So Revelation 12, 7 to 9. He goes from falling from glory in heaven and then falling from heaven to earth. <laughs> it gets worse, right? And then Revelation 12, uh, 20, 1 to 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years. That's pretty bad. Before he had freedom on earth. Now he's going to be locked up in the bottomless pit. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. Uh, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And so we know the devil was locked up at the bottom of the spit. So he fell from earth to the bottom of the spit. You see, you see the, I wouldn't call it progression because he's not progressing. What do you call regression maybe, right? He's regressing. He's getting worse and worse for him. So he goes to the bottom of the spit for a thousand years, but it gets significantly worse. Why? What happens to him after he was released for a little while? Well, Revelation 20.10, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. Are they going to stay there for a thousand years? And they'll be tormented day and night forever and 
ever. You see how it got worse, right? From the bottomless pit, he's not going to go even in a worser fate, in a worser place, which is the lake of fire, or he will be tormented night, day and night, forever and ever. So we can see here the spiral, the negative spiral, the fractal pattern of the devil's fall. This is why Ezekiel fall from glory in heaven, right? To be, to be not allowed in heaven anymore, falling to the earth, to the bottom of the spit, and from the bottom of the spit to the lake of fire. So the pattern is repeated in a more intense and intense way, right? And even our King Yahusha saw this pattern in Luke 10, 17, 18, and the 70 turned back to joy saying, sir, and the demons are being subjected to us in thy name. And he said to them, I was beholding the adversary as lightning from heaven having fallen. And so he's describing what he is seeing because Yahusha, with the mind of Yahuwah, he can see all things, past, present, and future, right? And so he was using the word beholding. The word beholding, it's a verb, but it's a verb that is imperfect, meaning it's, there's ongoing action. And so what Yahushua is describing as the adversary falling from heaven is the ongoing action of the fall of the devil from beginning up, and, up until the end. And so what he's describing here is like the, the whole overall pattern of the devil. This is why he called it like lightning from heaven that is falling, right? This is what he sees. It's ongoing action from the very beginning of the first fall up until what's going to be like for him in torment in the lake of fire. And he's describing it as lightning. If you notice, lightning is a fractal. Right? There's a fractal pattern in, in lightning. And so Yahushua is describing the ongoing action of the fall of the adversary. And because he can see past, present, and future, all the ongoing fall of Satan from grace. Fall from glory, fall from heaven, fall from the earth, and fall from the bottom of the state of the lake of fire. And so... The dragon, when the trumpet is blown, the new age comes, there's going to be changes. The devil no longer has access to any parts of heaven. He'll be cast to the earth. And what will he focus on? The woman. <laughs> He's going to persecute the woman. What does the woman represent again? It is Isherah. He's going to persecute Israel, who gave birth to the male child. Remember, Isherah will always be special in Yahuwah. There are those who, through our King Yahusha, remnants who will go to Yahusha and will become mature in Yahusha, and they will be raptured. They will be harpazoed in heaven. But there are those who will be left behind, right? But Yahuwah does not give up on the persecuted woman. He doesn't give up on Yisrael. And so even though the dragon, the devil, who is limited now to earth, will focus his efforts on the woman, and those who follow Yahushua, what's going to happen? How will Yahuwah protect them? In Revelation 12, uh, then the woman fled into the wilderness where he has a place prepared by Elohim that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Now, there's the, uh, uh, the, the famous phrase, 1,260 days. Whenever we come across that time, the, 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 the segment of time, 1,260 days, we think of Daniel chapter 9, right? The seven years divided into two parts. 
right? The, the first three and a half years, the second three and a half years, we know that the two witnesses are going to preach in the first three and a half years, and then they're going to be killed. There's going to be a harpazo, and then we have the next three, three and a half years. So the woman who's left behind is going to go through tribulation and is going to experience the wrath, not only of Yahuwah, but also the wrath of the devil. They're going to go through um, for 1,260 days. However, Yahuwah would find a place to protect the woman. Yahuwah will find a place to feed the woman. The Bible says Yahuwah is going to take them into the wilderness. That's very interesting. Remember, when the Bible speaks, it uses symbolism to communicate something that is very deep. And so when it says Yisharaq, will be taken to the wilderness. What does that mean? What will happen to those left behind? What is the hope that those who are left behind have? Well, when it says they will be taken to the wilderness, what is the purpose of that? Why does Yahuwah take them to the wilderness? In the book of Deuteronomy 8.2, remember how Yahuwah your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. You know, the people of Yishara long ago, during the days of Moses, they did not have to go through 40 years of wilderness journey, right? It could have been a lot shorter. It could have been a lot, lot shorter. It, what happened was, instead of just a couple, instead of just a week or so or a month, it became 40 years. But it could have been, they could have crossed the wilderness in a much, much shorter time. But why did they stay for a long time? Because of their stubbornness, lack of faith, right? They were proud, and their character was not, you know, uh, faithful to Yahuwah. And so they had to go through testing. And so those who are left behind, they'll be given an opportunity to be tested, to be developed, to be humble. This is why Yahuwah takes them to the wilderness. Well, why the wilderness? Why is that the best place to teach a person how to trust? Yahuwah. Well, what are the characteristics of the wilderness? 15 and 16. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with his poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. You notice in the wilderness, you have no choice but to trust in Yahuwah. There's no way you can get food in the wilderness. There's no way you can get water in the wilderness. You have to rely on supernatural provision. And so one of, the, one of the ways by which we can learn to trust Yahuwah is when we are going to be so lacking in power and ability, which is what's going to happen during the, uh, the tribulation time after the Harpazo, the Antichrist and the beast powers are going to take over the world. They're going to have complete, complete control over everything. You can't buy or sell unless they have approval. Right? That's going to be in full force already by that time. And so how are they going to eat? How are they going to fend for themselves? Yeah, who's going to find a way? So they're going to have to rely supernaturally on the power of Yahuwah. You get it? And so that's Yahuwah's way of those who are left behind for them to be humbled, to be tested for their own good. Not only that, in Revelation 12, let's go back to Revelation 12. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And so for that three and a half years, Yahuwah is going to protect and provide 
for the woman. You notice the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. And so again, when we come across these symbols, we have to go back to the Old Testament. What does this mean for those, for Israel and for the rest of humanity who are left behind? In Exodus 19, 4, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so Yahuwah is giving the opportunity for those left behind, including uh, for Yisharal, who's left behind. Yisharal, who rejected Messiah. And for people who rejected Messiah. All of them collectively, Yahuwah is giving them the opportunity that they be brought to himself. How can that be done today? Only when we are with Yahushua, only when we accept the lordship of Yahushua, when we believe in him and obey him and are baptized in his body, only then can we be brought to Yahuwah. And so Yahuwah is going to give them another chance. He's going to take them to the wilderness and teach them how to depend on Yahuwah. In Deuteronomy 32, 10 to 12, what does it mean? What does Yahuwah want us to learn? What do they want them to learn? He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his. You see how Yahuwah is not going to give up on Yisrael, even after the Harpatsa? He's going to use the three and a half years where the serpent, the beast, the Antichrist, the dragon, when they're reigning and have power over the elect. Yahuwah is going to use that as an instrument to test to teach uh, the people who were left behind how to trust. He kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stares up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So Yahuwah alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. So Yahuwah wants to teach those who are going to be left behind to trust in him alone, right? Not to, not to trust in human strength or politicians or government, because that will be completely useless. Trust in Yahuwah alone. And so, you know, we want to learn that now because we don't want to be left behind. Those who are going to be left behind are the ones who still need to learn that lesson. Now we have the opportunity to learn that, to trust Yahuwah, Yahusha alone, right? And so if we learn that lesson now, then there's no need for us to learn it later. I would prefer to learn it now than later, right? So let us learn that now. And so what else will Yahuwah do? For the sake of Yeshua, 15 and 16, so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. So Yahuwah is going to act in a supernatural way, because naturally the earth doesn't open up and swallow, swallow up floods, right? But Yahuwah is going to protect the woman supernaturally from the serpent, so that the woman can produce offspring. In other words, out of this collective group of Yisrael, there will be people who will be ready to be true children of Elohim. This is why in the last verse of Revelation 12, it mentions, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Yahushua Christ. And so when... Uh, this testing in the wilderness for three and a half years is taking place. There are those who will learn the faith and will learn the commandments of Yahuwah. This is what Yahuwah wants from the people. He wants them to have the testimony of Yahusha, to have faith and place their trust in Yahusha, and to keep the commandments of Yahuwah, the Ten 
commandments. This is what Yahuwah wants them to learn because they haven't learned this. They haven't adopted this before the Harpazo. After the Harpazo, that's what they have to learn, but they have to learn the hard way or the hardest way. I would prefer that we learn to keep the commandments of Yahuwah and keep the testimony of Yahusha today, right? We don't want to learn it later on. We don't want to learn it, you know, when after the Harpazo. We want to learn it now. And so for us to avoid this hour of trial, this testing that will twist, test those who dwell on the earth, because those who, remember what the, uh, the people who were harpazoed in heaven were singing? Woe to those who inhabit the earth. That's, what, that's the reason why he says woe, because they're going to go through a lot of major testing. There's going to be the unfolding of the bows, and there's going to be uh, the power of the Antichrist to oppress, to persecute, to, persecute, to kill. There's going to be a serpent and also a dragon to destroy. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. The Bible says, our King Yahushua says, we don't have to go through that. There's a way for us to escape. You know, what's going to happen upon the whole world, upon the, the, upon the earth? How so? Revelation 3 verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And so for those who will be left behind, they're going to be tested that they will learn to keep the commandments, that they will learn to place their trust in Yahushua, right? But we can be, we can avoid that. We can be kept from that if we command, if we obey the commandment of Yahushua to persevere, right? You know what the word persevere means? It means to endure with patience. What do we obey, right? What do we need to obey with endurance and patience? What must we fulfill so that when the harpazo, when the uh, trumpet sounds, we will be harpazo. We will be included among those who are going to be with Yahusha. How? What needs to happen to us today? And I'm sure at this point of our study, this is the most important part of our study. So I want you to keep close attention. We don't want to learn after the harpazo. We want to learn before the harpazo, right? Maybe we can put BH and AH. We want to learn before the harpazo. We need to persevere before the harpazo, not after. Although those who are after, you know, if any of us are left behind, we need to learn. Uh, keep the commands of Yahuwah and place your hope and trust in Yahusha. Reject anything the beast and the Antichrist will offer you. Okay? That's how to survive. Uh, those who are left behind, that's how you survive. But we want to avoid it altogether, to escape it altogether, to be kept from it altogether. And so what must we obey? Let's go back to Revelation 12, verse 5. Remember, Yahushua is our king. He is the Yihos. But we are also children, right? So we need, as children, to be like Yihos, to be like Yahushua more and more each day, right? So that we can be among those who are our possible. Because the Bible says, and her child was caught up. When it says her child, it's technon. And technon means children. But notice the characteristics of the children. If you notice there in the New Testament, pupils or disciples are called children of their teachers because the latter, by their instruction, nourish the minds of their pupils and mold their characters. And so when can we say that we have become children, technon, when we are able to become, you see that? 
when we are able to become like our master or teacher because we are pupils or his disciples. This is why the discipleship training program is so very important. We need to become like Yahushua. We need to learn from our king Yahushua. To become a disciple means not only do we proclaim Yahushua, we become parts of him so that we can be included among those who are going to be harpazo, right? So how can we do that? How can we be more and more like Yahushua? Well, we have a clue concerning what we need to do. Four things we need to do before we wrap up today. Four things we need to do so that we can be harpazo, okay? We can be together with Yahushua. We can achieve maturity. We can have this identity with Yahushua in such a way that we become the children of Allahim. Here it is in Revelation 12, 10 and 12. When those who were harpazo, when they sang, when they gave out a powerful message, we need to learn from that message. This is what they had to say, right? Those who were harpazo, we need to learn. Then I heard a loud voice uh, saying in heaven, now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down, okay? And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So there are four things that we can learn here. And I'm just going to go through them briefly. So we want to know, remember what he says? Persevere. Persevere, what does that mean? What do we do with perseverance? Here's a good example of that. We take it from those who are going to be harpazo. They tell us how they were able to do it. How, did, how were they able to do it? The Bible says, first of all, they overcame. They overcame. What does that mean to overcome? You'll be victorious. There's a battle taking place right now, but we have to win that battle, not lose that battle. Because if you lose that battle, we're gonna have to take up that battle again until we win it, if we can win it. And so we want to win that battle, we have to overcome. Well, what does that mean, overcome? In Revelation 2, 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the assemblies, uh, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of Elohim. So Yahushua, when he gave his message to the seven assemblies, he teaches us how to be overcomers. This is why if we want to learn how to prepare for the upcoming seven trumpet, when we want to be included among those who will be harpazo or raptured, we need to overcome. And so the way to overcome is by heeding the message of our King Yahushua to the seven assemblies, which we studied in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, because it teaches us how to be overcomers, okay? This is why this is so important, brethren. We're going after our Beatitude series. We're going to study the message of Yahushua to the seven assemblies so that we can master it, so that we can make sure we incorporate it in our life, because it's so significant. This is how we get our pots up. We heed the message of Yahushua. This is why we told you the most important parts of Revelation is two and three. And so we need to go back and learn two and three of the book of Revelation apply it daily in our life. So that's number one. We have to be overcomers. Number two, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We cannot emphasize enough that we need to have faith in Yahushua and what he did for us. When Yahushua was crucified by his shed blood, our sins were forgiven. And so that's something that we need to have faith in. How can we recognize those who have faith that Yahushua died for them? They go to Yahushua 
And if they committed sin, they believe in the power of the forgiveness of our King Yahushua. You know, sometimes there are people who, because of sin, they do not believe that their sins can be forgiven. Unfortunately, there are people who are like that, right? I mean, there are people who are unwilling to forgive themselves or they believe they could not be forgiven. Do you know people like that? And their guilt is so much that they think they can never be forgiven anymore because of what they did in the past or what they're doing, right? But those who believe in the blood of the Lamb, they find peace and joy from the truth that Yahushua died for them, that their sins are forgiven. And so what must we do? So that by the power of the blood of the Lamb, we can overcome the adversary of or the devil. Let's read Hebrews 12, 2 to 3. Let us fix our eyes on Yahushua, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So how can we by the blood of Yahushua, overcome the devil. Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Yahushua. Why? Because he is the author of our faith. Not only is he the author of our faith, he's the perfecter of our faith. And so we have a beginning in our faith, but our beginning faith must progress. For our faith to become perfect, we have to go through trials and tribulations maybe some of us are going through that right now right and maybe we don't want to approach Yahushua but Yahushua says he is our high priest and he wants us to go to him and ask for his help because he will give us grace and help in times of need so that we will not lose heart and grow weary fix our eyes upon Yahushua because it is by the power of his blood it is when we place our complete hope and trust in Yahushua that we will be able to overcome the devil. Learn to do that now. And so when we go through tribulations and trials in life, brethren, that's an opportunity. An opportunity for us to show, to show, Yahushua, we believe you. We trust you. We will do what you want us to do no matter what. And when we do that, the more we endure trials, going to Yahushua, the more our faith becomes perfected and we can overcome the enemy. So that's number two. What else? The Bible says, by the word of their testimony. And so Yahushua, in fact, you can read all about this in Revelation 2 and 3. The overcomers, they have one thing in common. They were not afraid to testify about Yahushua. This is why the Bible says, by the word of their testimony. They did not hide their testimony. They were not afraid of what people will do to them. The Bible says, by the word of their testimony, they were able to overcome the devil. And so what must we do today, even now, when it comes to our relationship with our King Yahushua? In Matthew 10, 32, confessing and rejecting Christ for those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same before my Father in heaven. And so according to our Lord Yahushua, we should declare him publicly. We don't reject Yahushua publicly. We declare him publicly, that we belong to him. We speak about Yahushua. We talk about Yahushua. But you know, sometimes there are people who don't talk about Yahushua when they're in the company of certain people because they're afraid, you know, I might get expelled from the synagogue. There are people who are afraid to talk about Yahushua because of what people might do to them. 
And so this is what John 12 reveals. Even then, many of the Jewish authorities believe in Yerusha. Did you know there were many Jewish authorities who believed in Yerusha? But because of the Pharisees, they did not talk about it openly. And so when the Pharisees were around, oh, you better not mention Yerusha, right? So what's not to be expelled from the synagogue? Because they were afraid to be expelled from the synagogue. Bible says they love human approval rather than the approval of God. And so brethren, one of the ways that we can show that we trust Yahushua, that we have faith in him, that we fix our eyes upon him as the, the author and perfect of our faith is that we testify about him. Something happens to us, we talk to the people about Yahushua, how Yahushua has changed my life. We can do this, especially now because we have internet. We have Facebook. Why not post something, you know, instead of posting something about what you ate? Or about what you drank, or about your vacation. Nothing wrong with that. But why not post something about what you, how you, what you're learning from Yahushua? Why not post something about how Yahushua has transformed your life, or the miracle that Yahushua has done for you? Why be ashamed of that? Tell the people of the world about you and your relationship with our King Yahushua. Do you think Yahushua would take that well? Oh yeah, it's an expression, a public expression of our faith and trust in the King who can. Save us. You know who's a good example of that? In the book of John 9, 30, 34. The man answered, what a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man, Nusha, came from God. He would not be able to do a thing. The answer, you were born and brought up in sin. And you're trying to teach us. And they expelled him from the synagogue. Here's a good example of one who gave testimony. It was the blind man who was born blind and was healed by Yahushua. When he was healed of his blindness, you know, the Pharisees, they tried to convince him to denounce Yahushua. Right? But he did not. He did not waver. He said to them, this is what I know. Before I was blind, now I can see. And this is what I know. This man, Yahushua, he is a man from God. Because if not, how could he do what he has done? And so he gave a testimony about Yahushua. And because of that testimony about Yahushua, what happened to him? He was expelled from the synagogue. So brethren, that's one of the keys for us to be able to show to our King Yahushua, we trust you. That we have achieved that level of being identified with you as a child of Yahuwah. Right, that we are identified with Yehos as technon, the technon transformation. What else? Let's read one more part of it. That's number three. The last part is also related. They did not love their lives to the death. I mean, as human beings, we love our life, right? But there's something else that we should love more than our life. What is that? There are people who because they love their life so much, they will do anything to preserve it. But there are people who love Christ so much, even if it means dying for him, they will do. This is what happened in the seventh assembly. Many gave up their lives. All they had to do was recant their faith. All they had to do was reject Yahushua as their king and declare the Roman emperor to be their king. That's all they had to do. And they'll be saved. But they did not want to do that. And so they had to go through the arena, be devoured by beasts, because they love Yahushua more than their life. But there are people who love their life more than anything. They love their life to the death. 
And the Bible says, if we are truly to belong to Yahushua, we have to follow what he says here. For whoever wants to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Brethren, how much do we love Yahushua? How much do we love the gospel? Are we willing to lose our life for it? Because unless we are willing to lose our life for it, we haven't yet reached that maturity, that level of trust that identifies us with the one who heads us. And so let us learn to be so bold in declaring by faith that we belong to Yahushua. We, be, we don't belong to anyone else. We be so bold. If I die, so be it. If because of the gospel, I believe it. Because of Yahushua, I trust it. If you're going to expel me, if you're going to kill me, so be it. I love Yahushua more than my life. I love the gospel more than my life. And so for the true people of Elohim, those who are true children of God, those who are truly identified with Yahushua, Zihos, true technon worthy to be harpazot. What is their mind and heart? What is their conviction? Brethren, let's read the final passage of our studies today in Philippians 121, Apostle Paul says, for what is life? To me, it is Christ. Death then will bring more. When you ask people, you know, what is life to you? Oh, it's my job, my family, my career, my house, my car, my material things. Nothing wrong with those things. But those who are truly, truly matured and they've identified with Christ completely, they will always say one word. What is life? It's Christ. What is life? It's Yahushua. Does it mean the other things are not important? No. It means they're also important. But compared to Yahushua, they're nothing. Because for me, everything, you can take away everything from me. You can take away my things. You can take away people in my life. You can take away the world. You can take away my life. Doesn't matter. Because for me, life is Christ. For me, life is Yahushua. That's it. If, that's our, if that is our convic conviction, we will be willing to lose our life. We will be willing to overcome all things. And if we do die because of Yahushua, my goodness, praise Yahuwah. If we die because of Yahushua, because death then will bring more. Because they will be together with Yahushua when the seventh trumpet finally sounds. That is our lesson for today. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, most holy and gracious Yahuwah Abba, we thank you so much for blessing each and every one of us with hope, with faith, with your plan. For salvation. We know, Father, there's a purpose to everything that happens in our life. Even the smallest of details you use together to work out good. We have seen this at work in our life. We are truly fortunate and blessed that at this point in our history, we have come across you. We have been embraced by you. 
and you have brought us into fellowship with your son. Our King Yahusha, behold your servants. Forgive us if some of us have not been bold or courageous. Help us to learn faith in you. Teach us to fix our eyes upon you. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. We know we will be tested now. We know we will go through hardship, pain, many kinds of tribulation. We will look up to you from heaven, please. Help us to grow in faith, to become mature, not to wane in our hope, but to be encouraged by your presence in our life. You are the throne of grace. We need you now. If it is your will, may you heal your servants, whatever may afflict us. Those who are going through terminal illnesses, may you heal them. Give them all the opportunity to receive the power of your salvation. Yahusha, please be in our midst. Embrace us every day. Nourish our strength that we can grow more and more in faith and in you. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. May you bless your people throughout the world and help us to be fully prepared for the sounding of that trumpet. We believe, Abba, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.